Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today's show welcomes back Sean McGinnis, president and integrator at Kuru Footwear, stylish shoes for people with foot pain. When I first met Sean at the start of 2022, he was in the middle of re-architecting Kuru's site and CX to capture and convert problem-aware customers, mostly through search and organic traffic. Spoiler alert, it worked. But at that time, he was skeptical about how paid social could be a really effective channel for such a problem-aware brand. Uh, Fast forward to July, when I hear that Kuru has scaled paid social 350% with realistic plans for that to be 3,000% by the end of the year. The secret? Figuring out their attribution and finding the sweet spot between the floor of their Google Analytics reporting and the ceiling of their on-platform conversion data so that they could scale with true sense of their incremental value. You're going to want to listen to Sean's key findings about the value of impression attribution, the surprising speed of meta customers' conversion cycle, and you'll also hear plans for Kuru's catalog drop. You're going to want to listen to this one right until the end, so let's get on with the show. I don't trust any data that comes directly from a platform where we're spending money. I don't care if it's Google, I don't care if it's Microsoft. If I'm spending money with you and you're trying to tell me what the relative value is of that, your motivated reasoning is to try to take credit for every single order that you possibly can. And so the incentive there, I think, is one that's a little bit perverse. Before Rockerbox, the thing that I used to say all the time was, Google Analytics on a last cut basis shows me the floor of potential contribution. Facebook view through shows me the potential ceiling, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. That floor and the ceiling was 20 to 40 feet high. Now we look into a three to four foot window and go, oh, like this is in the bounds of recognition for us and it makes sense logically and we can run tests that will validate a lot of those hypotheses we have. D2C marketers, let's get real. How many hours have you wasted searching for brand influencers only to come up empty handed? It's time to stop spending time searching, scrolling and haggling with influencers and start using creator marketing with hashtag paid. With Hashtag Paid, you can find your perfect creator match for your brand in less than 10 minutes every time. Getting started is easy. Just select your audience, campaign objectives, pick from a short list of creators, and hit run. It's just that easy. There's a reason why Hashtag Paid is the number one rated influencer marketing platform for D2C brands. As a D2C listener, you can even get credits for your first campaign. Just go to go.hashtagpaid.com slash DTCpod to get started. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Sean. Welcome back to the D2C podcast. First of all, I just wanted to congratulate you on your promotion, which you appear to have received since our last podcast that we did earlier this year, to president and integrator at Kuru. Can you describe for me your new role and how it's changed from your time as CMO? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be back with you. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, and I can't believe uh, all that time has gone past. So uh, president and integrator, I run the day-to-day. So we run Kuru Footwear on uh, a system called EOS, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. It's called uh, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, based on a book called Traction. And that business believes in kind of a two-headed monster to run the business, right? They have the visionary and the integrator. Sometimes it's one person sitting in both of those seats, but the integrator is kind of the, the orchestra conductor, right? They, they run the day-to-day of the business, think of them as maybe a COO or a general manager. So I report to our CEO and, and founder, Brett, and then the, the entirety of the rest of the business kind of rolls into to my responsibility. 
your marketing mind, first of all, you have years as an executive in, in marketing roles. Does it take you further away from marketing or does it just give you a different perspective on it? I would say I'm a marketing first executive, but uh, we do have like I've got a head of growth who runs that team. So his his role is um, customer acquisition and retention. So he's managing all of our channels and our e-com team and our CX team. We've got a brand manager that reports to me. So his responsibility is market research that leads to consumer insights that fuels brand strategy, marketing strategy and product strategy. So the product team actually reports into him today. Obviously, kind of the the back office stuff, ops and finance also rolls into me as well. So um, I'm still very close to that group on the marketing side, but the day to day, I'm definitely a little bit further out and uh, removed. I was just going back over our last podcast, and when we last spoke, you had reorganized sort of the architecture of your site, the info architecture, the the product architecture in some ways, and changed the customer experience to really dial in on problem-aware SEO and SEM traffic. But I remember at that time, you were a little, not hesitant, a a little pessimistic about paid social and and the ability for a problem-aware brand like Kuru to to get into paid social. But you were very game. I will actually use your quote that you gave us for what you would do with the $50,000. At that time, you'd go 100% new creative for social. You'd match it and you'd go whole hog on trying to figure out paid social. And then through the grapevine, through a case study that you produced with Rockerbox, I hear that you actually are just massively scaling paid social. So I had to catch up to what's been the big difference to allow you guys to, to really crack paid social. Yeah, honestly, it's been our partnership with Rockerbox. We love working with them. And uh, all along, I, I'll go back to our time previously. You know, the, the business was and continues, frankly, to spend quite a bit of money at the bottom of the funnel, kind of demand capture mode, right? People that are problem aware to use your words. They're searching Google, they're searching Microsoft. The the real question in my mind was, how do we move up the funnel and move into a demand generation mode? And is our brand sufficiently different from a lot of the other D2C brands that have been so successful for so long and paid social as a channel, right? We're more expensive than probably the average brand or AOV is quite a bit more than your typical kind of want brand. I always kind of carve it up into a need versus a want status, right? If you have really um, bad foot pain and you you work, your job brings you to your feet all day, you've got to solve that problem somehow, or you're just going to be in pain. And so I always think of us as a little bit more of a, we're certainly still in that discretionary bucket, but we're a little more on the, on the need um, side of the discretionary bucket, right? Um, There's spend that you have to spend food, shelter, (laughs) transportation, if you're going to go and, and kind of live your life. And then there's the rest of this discretionary bucket. But the big hypothesis all along was, are we different or are we the same? And what we really needed was a, a multi-touch attribution model to build the level of confidence of what's the real contribution of a paid social to a business like ours. And once we got Rockerbox up and running and they built the models for our business, we knew that there was there was runway ahead of us that we could go kind of hit the gas. And so that was the data and the information we needed to make that bigger decision and now make the bigger investment. And so it was really just being able to spend into uncertainty, what previously had been a little bit of uncertainty with just more confidence and more direction. Yeah, I don't trust any data that comes directly from a platform where we're spending money. Frankly, I don't care if it's Google. I don't care if it's Microsoft. I don't care who it is. If I'm spending money with you and you're trying to tell me what the relative value is of that, I just, there's a built-in lack of trust there. Your motivated reasoning is to try to take credit for every single order that you possibly can within reason. And so the incentive there, I think, is is one that's a little bit perverse and the one that, and it just influences 
uh, negatively my ability to really trust that data. So I think having a third party that we pay independently to think independently on our behalf and to figure out where in the funnel each one of these steps kind of occurs for us and, and what the relative contribution of each channel or each campaign, each each subset of uh, campaign types, you know, where where that uh, lives in in the in the customer journey and how much that spend is influencing the desirable outcome at the end of the day. So to put a number to it, uh, looking at this case study we, we discovered on Rockerbox, it's you've been able to scale your social spend by 350%. Mm-hmm. And to get into the specifics of, of what you learned about, like wh- where does paid social then fit in, in your funnel? It's definitely a higher funnel activity for us. Um, we're, what it allowed us to do was to, and we're just at the beginning, right? So we were spending so little, this is still early days for us. And so that 350%, maybe 3,500% at the end of it all. But what it's allowed us to do is to, um, with confidence, go and enlist a, a, a dedicated paid social agency. And we've got two additional sort of creative agencies that we're, that we're beginning work with just now to create more content at scale to handle that, that paid social agency. So um, I won't say we're all in, but we're definitely, what we were dipping our toes in before, we're kind of waist deep at this point. And so the future is definitely looking bright for that channel for us. And we want to continue to push the boundaries to see what it can do for us. There's, there's no doubt that it's, there's more there than we thought. And that's the exciting part, right? I think I even said at the time, like, I I want to scale this. I want to be proven wrong. I want paid social to, to present the blue sky opportunity that it has for so many other brands and, and do so for Kuru. I just needed to be confident that it did. And so that confidence is we're at an eight and a half out of 10 now, where before it was about a four out of 10. And that's enabled us to go spend lots more funds with lots more folks. And a lot of this, it's uh, from what I'm reading here, had to do with your ability to really understand the impact on view-throughs in the paid social environment, which makes sense. It's top of funnel. I remember I was working in ad tech, uh, you know, in the before 2010, and all, all you know, all my reps in the display world were always, you know, you got to get on impression-based conversion. And I would I'm always wary, obviously, because they were just looking for another reason to get paid. But it's great to hear that you really sort of sussed it out. Like, tell me what that sort of looked like. Are you? Do your other channels pick up what the impressions? You know, do they become brand aware on Facebook and then search up using search? Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely, um, it expresses itself in a number of ways. SEO picks up some of it, direct picks up some of it. It was a requirement for us. You know, as we were looking at uh, some new tools from our data stack perspective, and we were evaluating Rockerbox against some of the competitors, one of the requirements that we had was because we had this specific use case, we were trying to prove the value of, of social, that we wanted to have something that could at least um, use some machine learning and some way to calculate what that relative contribution would be. And so Rockerbox, the system, they, they call they refer to it as synthetic events. So they're timestamping exactly when you're serving these ads and looking back at the influence that those ads have, even though a click wasn't generated, right? And so um, it's not it's not 100%. It's not pixel perfect. You know, you have to take some of this stuff as directional, but it's in the middle, you know, before Rockerbox, the thing that I used to say all the time was, 
Google Analytics on a last code basis shows me the flo- the relative floor of potential contribution. Facebook view through shows me the, the potential ceiling and the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? And so Rockerbox narrows that that bandwidth for us to, to know that we're we're living in a much more accurate middle than just a wild guess of a floor and a ceiling, right? That floor and a ceiling was 20 to 40 feet high. Now we look into a three to four foot window and go, oh, like this is this is in the bounds of recognition for us and it makes sense logically. And, it, and as long as we continue to test in a not wild, crazy fashion, we can you know run tests that will um, validate a lot of those hypotheses we have. So it's been super helpful. One of the other learnings that I'm reading about here is you learned that on average, when users come in with Facebook as their first touch point, they basically have half the time to conversion as through other traditional shopping or organic sources. And that must have been interesting. What has that allowed you to do? Yeah, it's just been super interesting for us to really push the boundaries. It's uh, to, we're, what we're really focused on right now, honestly, is just testing more creative at volume. I mean, it, it's everything right now. We're going to test different hooks. We're going to test different imagery. We're going to kind of mix and match all those different um, video versus motion graphics versus static ads. That volume, we want to feed that paid search our paid social agency dozens and dozens and dozens of ads a week and let the, let the algorithm do its thing and let their their gifted team, you know, we've got four or five people working on our account inside that agency. Those are the smart people that are kind of working within the channels, but we're going to let them kind of really drive the discussion. And, uh, you know, it's all being managed by a paid team in-house here. We've got a director of paid channels and she's really gifted as well. So she's project managing every, every step of the way. It's really about finding the the levers that we can really pull, you know, and how specific do we need to get to drive the action within our customer segments, within all of it. I mean, so it's it's just an exciting time for us um, to really open up a channel that's potentially this material. You know, it's been a while since we've seen something that, that, that has the chance to transform the business this way. And we've got about three or four other projects that are similar that are not quite as time tested as, as paid social. So it's uh, very exciting. How much of your creative output is creator content or, you know, finding people that are maybe blue collar influencers of kinds or people that do these kinds of things and then actually getting them to create content about the shoes? Or is it more traditional ad content? Or are you are you leaning into the UGC creator content? It's going to be a little bit of both, actually. So we've got some UGC content that we've created recently. Uh, we're just getting on the forefront of testing. And we also hired an agency to go create that specific type of content with us and for us. So uh, more kind of video reviews. I'm excited to partner with them. We literally just signed the SOW in the last week and a half, probably. So we're just kind of getting ramped up with them. So just exciting times on that front. And then there's another creative agency we're getting ready to sign with as well. So we're just kind of, we're going to go test everything that we can and see what works because we're still at this, I call it very early stage. So that case study is probably going to get updated over the next six to 12 months. And that number is going to go bigger is kind of the way I think about it. But just focused on meta for now, you're not jumping into TikTok just yet. No, yeah, not even, we're not, we're, I won't even say, well, it took us four months to reclaim a TikTok account that some former employee had uh, created for us. So we've, we've got access to it now. We're starting to share a few things here and there. Some folks are definitely creating UGC on TikTok for us, but we haven't really done any paid at all in, in TikTok. That's definitely a fast follow. As we scale this, the agency we're working with is well aware like that. The intent is to go big there too, and at least test and see what we can do. And with your uh, attribution model fairly dialed in, have you ventured out into any other alternative traffic platforms, you know, OTT, podcasts, billboards, these kind of things, anything offline? 
So there are two tests that are um, getting ready to run any moment. We've got a catalog actually that's dropping and Rockerbox allows us to track the efficacy of that kind of a channel just by uploading the the recipient list and um, you know matching that back. So again, the customization of the platform and the the way that we're able to work with them is just super helpful. So that's that's the one big area that we're testing. And then um, we are just we just gave notice to uh, an agency that we intend to test in connected TV, but doing so in a CPA model. So they'll actually kind of live inside of our affiliate channel. That's an interesting thing. So they they usually did more traditional kind of CPM based work, um, kind of traditional agency, and they've tested and made it work on a CPA model for a number of clients. And so they just rolled that capability out this quarter. And we're really excited to kind of jump in with them. So we'll get some testing done in Q4. We've, we've got an onboarding with them in the next week and a half, probably to spend an hour talking about creative and uh, telling them our brand story. And, and then they'll come back with a couple of examples of ads and we'll run. For some great things about TV, I've got a friend who runs an underwear brand in Australia and they've just blanketed the airways down there. Just started by calling up like TV stations, making deals, like not even like not even through an agency, not even through a platform. And they've just become a household name down there through it because it just it just gives you a credibility in a way. And that it just gives you a, like a sheen to your brand awareness, right? Because you're on this prestige platform. How scrappy is that? What a great story. Yeah, we, we definitely yeah. intended. We, we had a... a, a we were planning on testing with a more traditional agency in Q4. We just we actually decided to just kind of back that up because we're launching our new site in September and the time just didn't feel right. So uh, the order of operations is we're migrating to Shopify Plus in early to mid-September. Through the next five or six months, we'll revamp every page from a design and UI UX perspective. And then come April, we'll kind of have the new site we're optimizing against. And we'll, we've got to keep um, some testing going along the lines of when that's all happening. But it just felt good to kind of push that out a little bit. We didn't want to do too much all at the same time. But this CPA model allows us to test there. So the, the plan was to test with that other agency, maybe even do some self-serve Hulu type stuff. We, I agree with you. I think that there's... Um, big promise in TV if you can afford to do it. And if you do it right, I think there's um, that has the potential to change the dynamic within the advertising ecosystem, right? The big question for me always was, we're doing a really good job in demand capture. How do we move up the funnel a little bit? And then how do we do kind of a brand halo thing that changes the e the, the way that all these channels interact with one another changes the click-through rate and paid search changes. Oh, I've, I've connected. I saw that brand before. I remember Guru. Like I saw them on, you know, whatever show I was watching. It just there's a subtle uh, uh, impact probably in terms of click through rate and conversion rate that may kind of upend the entire dynamics of the uh, ecosystem for us. So excited to try all those things out. It's funny we don't talk about Shopify a lot. We're, we're mainly on the marketing side of things. My brother works at Shopify, survived the layoffs. But I'm just curious, what's your reason for moving from Shopify to Shopify Plus in your case at this stage of your business? We were moving from Magento to Shopify Plus. Oh, so okay. uh, that is a much larger um, decision. And honestly, uh, I've, I've framed this up in a couple of other conversations. The way I think of it is with Magento, everything was custom, Eric, everything. Like uh, we, we built our own custom RMA module. What, sorry, um, what's that? Uh, what's an RMA module? Uh, it's 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 the thing that governs the returns and exchanges inside of the platform. So we went and looked at Returnly back in the day. This is all before I got here, and and the internal developer who's really gifted took one look at, at it and was like, "Well, I can. Why would we pay them a bunch of money? I can build that in six weeks." You know, and so like it's uh, the way I've kind of framed it up is it's a build versus buy decision for us. Like we want to almost put ourselves in a straitjacket. Like e-commerce e just doesn't have to be hard. 
build a great brand, build a great product, take care of customers, remove friction, make it easy to do business with you. And all this custom software and these custom applications and X and Y and Z, like it, you're just making it harder on yourself. There was one agency that we looked at when we were um, vetting you know, who we were going to work with on this migration. And they said, for folks that we've migrated from Magento to Shopify, they typically think of themselves as having gone from being an IT shop to an e-commerce shop. And like, I can't wait to no longer be an IT shop. Um, About half of the work that our developers do is squashing bugs. And like moving to Shopify Plus, the whole goal is to just never touch the core code if we can avoid it. Like do everything in CSS in the front end. You want to change the position of a button and make it a little bit more slick. I'm sure eventually we will go back to like, oh my gosh, I can't believe there's all these constraints. Let's go do this and let's go customize that. That'll be somewhere down the line. But for now, I'm looking forward to just having everything be super easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Set it and forget it. The fact that Clavio integrates nicely with Shopify Plus and that, you know, Aftership returns nicely then. Okendo does this. Like we've got these selections that we've made on the tech stack and the level of integration without having to be customizing off of APIs and all the other kind of work that goes into that. Hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, hopefully we'll see site speed enhancements and we'll get conversion rate enhancements by by the migration and um, really excited, frankly. We, we want to spend time building great experiences for customers. And we think that, that Shopify Plus is going to be a great pathway for that. Very cool. You you uh, mentioned last time a few CRO changes you made to your site. Just it was you, you know going into detail about how you were categorizing products by a little bit more by by people's actual experience with them. Also, you mentioned just raising the font size on your whole website was a great impact. Anything else you can report from the front lines of CRO? It's been a while because we've we've really been focused on this Shopify migration. Honestly, um, I remember when we last talked, we were at the beginning stage of those page rewrites, and those are now done. So if you go to our site today and um, hover over foot pain and care, all of those pages have been completely redeveloped, redesigned, and rewritten. So there's 150 plus pages targeting specific types of foot pain, specific activities, um, specific use cases, um, and specific careers. You know, by, by virtue of the fact that you're a teacher, if you're in class, you are on your feet an awful lot during the day. And that type of a career leads to a lot of foot fatigue and foot pain. And so um, we want to let folks that are in those jobs know that we've thought through and in some circumstances actually talked to a, a survey a big, pretty big portion of our customer base to figure out like, what are the best shoes for that job, right? If you're in healthcare, we've got a solution for you. If you're a uh, delivery driver, we've got a solution for you. And so we're constantly talking with folks like that and thinking about additional use cases of like, oh, well, I would I would use shoes if you made some for X or for Y, right? Because we can build our technology into almost any type of shoe. And so we're constantly evaluating the landscape and saying, well, what's the next style that we need to bring out? We've launched five new shoes, this uh, new styles this year um, on the product side, uh, really successful new sandals, um, new sneakers. And there's about five or six more that are scheduled for next year right now. So just pumped to kind of completely reinvent the line from the ground up. We've got, we've reinvigorated our product team. Like we've got, we just onboarded a new gentleman with 30 plus years experience at Nike and Reebok, international experience. Like he's leading our product line revamp from the ground up two weeks into the job. It's like super pumped to have him join a really experienced team on the engineering side of making shoes is complicated, you know, just like building technology is. So 
I remember you saying when when you kind of had come on previously, you, you your, your CEO was a little bit more focused on trying to make Kuru a bit more of a lifestyle brand, whereas you know you kind of took it back to the roots of as we were saying problem aware foot pain based foot. But it feels like your products, the ones that I see new like that are coming out new, it's it's like you're kind of bridging those two worlds a little bit. It's like you're trying to go a little bit broader with the styles, but still have that underpinning of uh, a foot pain help. Yeah, we uh, we're still refining it, but the uh, I uh, the uh, to me the category we live in is stylish shoes for foot pain, sexy shoes for foot pain, whatever you want to call them, right? Like there's typically think of a Venn diagram. There's foot pain shoes. They're usually not very stylish looking. They usually look pretty, you know, cruddy. And then there's really gorgeous shoes, and those are the ones that usually cause foot pain. Like I where that those two circles overlap is kind of the the sliver where I like to think that Karoo lives. We've got a long way to go. Like there's some of our shoes are definitely not very stylish still. <laughs> so we're we're in the process of kind of updating some of the styles that are a little longer in the tooth and they've been around for a while. And so I think over the next couple of years, you're going to see the product line get modernized pretty dramatically. Um, so a lot of the new stuff that we've come up with is just really good. And so really, really proud of the product team and all the effort that they put in and excited to see how our customers react to every single new thing we drop. Do you do drops? Do you actually do? You- we do what we call limited editions. So we don't like we don't pump up a ton of demand and, and like uh, only release 50 pair of something like that. But when we do a limited edition, we buy what we think should be about five to six months worth of demand. And the, you know, there's there's a when you're when you're building product like this, you have to order minimum quantities from each factory and each factory is a little bit different in what they will build for. you. I mean, you can always kind of go below that if you pay a premium on the on the, the front side. So we could do stuff like that. That's just not something we've chosen to do because we're trying to satisfy foot pain, right? And we want everyone to get everything that they that they love from us. And so the repurchase rate is pretty high. And, it, you know, when you find something that takes away your foot pain, you look to replace everything in your closet. And so uh, we want to make sure that, we, that those offerings are always available to folks. Did you have the free shoes option on your website before? I'm just looking at the free shoe Friday where you're, you're giving away shoes. I think we do. Yeah, it's been a while. We've done it for a year. It's really that's primarily a, a tactic to try and grab signups on our email list, right? It's been a good driver of that. So every Friday we randomly select five um, folks. You've got to have an account in on the in our Magento instance. You have to be signed up to receive our marketing emails. Those are the only two criteria. We just do a random selector, and five folks get five shoes or you know five a free pair of shoes, and we we drop enough crew cash into their account to you know get basically anything on the site that they'd like. That's great, and that and then that brings them into the affiliate program as well. When you're into the world of Kuru Cash. Yeah, we like that. The loyalty program is really useful for us. Um, it's a it's a primary driver of all of our offers and promotions. For the most part, we don't we don't do a lot of site wide discounting. You know, we've got this clearance center that is we're going to probably rename later uh, when we migrate to Shopify. It's it's an area where stuff that's just been discontinued or you know, we're replacing it or that color was a limited edition and it's met that six month criteria and it's, you know, half the sizes are sold out. We put it in clearance to try and move it a little bit more quickly. So that's pretty much the only place where we do any kind of kind of discounting. Most other kind of holidays, we do like a points multiplier for our Kuru Cash system. So if for everyone, uh, if you're if you've got an account with us, every pair of shoes you buy, you get five percent back in your account. We'll do like a two X or a three X points promotion for like Mother's Day or Father's Day or Memorial Day. Yeah. Love it. 
you're not devaluing the brand, you know, it's additive, right? It's not subtractive. It's, it's just cr- trying to create more value. And one of the interesting things that we keep thinking about, we're excited to uh, test lots, so many more things when we get to Shopify upsell techniques and bundling techniques, you know, not that you'd maybe do a subscription with us, but you know, buy one uh, or buy a second pair and get 20% off so things like that, that are kind of cart rules that you can do all kind of testing. We've stayed away from that in the last three years and still really grown aggressively. So I'm kind of excited to test some of that stuff along the way too. And is that just because it would have taken a, a developer weeks and weeks to do on your previous instance? Yeah, it's just so painful. Like everything takes forever. It's just really, I, again, this is going to be one of the situations where three years from now, I'm going to go, gosh, Shopify is just so constraining. You know, I hear Sean Frank from, from Ridge talk yes. all the time. <laughs> I mean, he and I have had many, uh, at least uh, yep. one conversation where he's like, man, I just, if I could get out of there, I would. You know, I, I'm sure we will reach that point too. But for now, it's just the grass looks so green over there and I can't wait to get there, you know? Um, I don't know. I like, I've got my 50 K question. I don't know if your answer will change considering you're just sort of getting into these green pastures of paid social. Your last answer as to what you would do with 50 K was to really focus on, on creative and really dive headlong into paid social from in your new position as president and integrator. Uh, is there any other perspective on where you'd put, uh, that investment in right now? Oh boy. What a great question these days. Um, I should have come prepared for this one, Eric. I, I think we would just pour fuel on the fire and go get more creative done. It was kind of the same answer, only because as, as much as we are aggressively pursuing paid social, we're still at the very forefront. And so like we would just want to accelerate those learnings at this point. And honestly, if you if we meet again in 90 days, my answer might be I would just pour another 50 onto catalog. Like I'm so pumped for catalog. I'm really, really excited. And we're putting some good money there, but like if that works out the way I hope, that could be the answer for a, a lot of scale. So, can we talk about? I've never actually. It's the first time I think catalog has been mentioned on this podcast. What does that actually mean? Is that is that sending a catalog to your entire customer base, or are there new people you get the catalog to as well? Yeah, so we're uh, we're working with a, an agency and an expert who has been doing catalog for thirty years. Like these are really really smart people in this area, and what we're doing is we're sending. Yeah, it's either 10 or 25% of the list uh, to existing customers. So we kind of get a baseline of performance out of them. And then the other 75%, we sent them our whole customer list and they said, we're going to go out and basically do a lookalike poll and find people that are demographically and psychographically interesting and, and kind of matching up to what we see in your customer file. And so of those 75%, we're going to kind of see how that goes, right? And so in, in some respects, the existing list is in some ways to kind of justify the, the ROI that we're going to get because you're going to get a higher take rate on that from that part of the file. But also, I think it's to create a baseline to say, okay, here's how that group worked and here's how this other group worked. So like most of our spend, we're always focused on trying to maximize incrementality. But you've got to get a baseline, too, to really understand what that increment looks like, right? So just super excited for that. We have talked to a, a handful of other brands that have done catalog successfully over the last five years or so. And it's just an area that we really were excited to test. You know, we're, we're going to test everything in the next couple of years. And this is one that it's it, if it works out the way we think, there's probably a lot of scale there. So. It makes me think of just the, you know, as a kid waiting for the toy uh, catalog to come in. You guys got to own Labor Day. You can own, you can do a big catalog drop on Labor Day. <laughs> That's a great idea. That might just That's work. That's awesome. 
<laughs> I'm sure it would actually, because that's, you know, they say there's certain times where you just don't mail. Yeah. But Labor Day is squarely in the middle of when you do. Yeah. So uh, that's a great idea. Nice. Well, you get that one for free. I love it. Uh, I love it. <laughs> very cool. Thanks for coming back on the podcast today, Sean. And I definitely, let's just keep uh, staying in touch uh, every 90 yeah, days. I love it, man. You're doing lots of cool stuff. So uh, it'd be great to catch up again. Yeah. Hey, the good luck on the mastermind. Super excited to hear how yeah. that goes. I was super bummed I couldn't make it because of my schedule conflict. But gosh, I hope it really goes well for you guys. So many great people signing up. Uh, it, it's going to be really, really exciting. Yeah, you have your your factory sale that day. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, couldn't make it. Hope you make a mint there as well and uh, catch up again soon. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.